be reading from the New King James Version. As Troy mentioned, it's Exodus 19. I'll start at verse 3 and go through verse 8. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. There ought to be within each one of us a deep and abiding understanding of how blessed we are, not only as Christians, but specifically in living in a country where we can celebrate our independence and where we can celebrate out of many one, e pluribus unum. I was telling my kids uh, earlier uh, this week about um, how people couldn't really figure out what America really was. A lot of people have thought America is kind of like a melting pot where you take people from all different nations of the earth, from you know uh, Switzerland or from England or from Africa or from Asia, and you bring them all into one place and you mix all these cultures together in a big melting pot. Some others have propose that it's like a patchwork quilt, that here's the distinctiveness of these cultures and we're weaving them all together and putting them all together. But however it works, we find a way somehow as Americans to make it work, at least we have up until this point. And there ought to be an understanding of how blessed we are to live in a nation that has uh, well endured for over 200 years now and, you know, is still is still here. I'm fascinated by different cultures and different nations. And one of the nations that's fascinates and intrigues me and also horrifies me is the nation of North Korea. Did you know North Korea is one of the most, well, it's one of the most brutal nations on earth. And among the North Koreans, there is a law that they have called the three generations of punishment rule. If there's a man convicted of a crime and he's uh, sent to a prison camp, what happens is they usually go and they get the man's immediate family, and that includes parents and grandparents, so that includes children and grandchildren, and they also grab them up and send them off to the, an, a similar prison camp and to remain there. The edict was uh, uh, enacted in 1972 by Kim Il-sung, and set up to three generations had to be punished to wipe out the seed of class enemies. And... To enforce this, North Korea has a network of informants who will monitor and report to the authorities fellow citizens that they expect of criminal or subversive behavior. And there's an understanding of how blessed we are. But there's also an understanding when I look at nations like North Korea and say, you know, nobody should live like that. Nobody should have to live like that. To tie this into our lesson... I think some people get the idea that life under God in the Old Testament was a whole lot like that. 
And they'll take a look and say, well, look, see, God has a three generation of punishment rule here. And he's going to mention it here in Exodus chapter 20 and verse five, where it says, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And people get the idea that life under the Old Testament, particularly as we're about to jump into the study, life under the Ten Commandments was something kind of deep and foreboding. It was a brooding of God just waiting for somebody to mess up and waiting for somebody to commit a sin so that he could just go down and smite them. And so a lot of people have got this picture of God that's not complete. You say, why is that not complete? Because the people that will point to this verse and say, well, look at how harsh God is. Don't neglect or neglect rather to look down at verse six, the immediate verse after where he says, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. When we look at the Old Testament, particularly the Ten Commandments, there's a great deal of misunderstanding in our world today about what they're all about and what it is that they were designed to do. But we're going to take the time to study these individually over the next course of the next uh, uh, Sunday evenings, Lord willing, and take a look at them one per week and ask the question, why? Why do we take the time to go study the Old Testament? Why should we take the time to study the Ten Commandments? Don't ever forget, folks, that the purpose for all Bible study is to know God more intimately, to love Him more fervently, and to obey Him more faithfully. To know God more intimately, to love Him more fervently, and to obey Him more faithfully. We're going to take a look at the Ten Commandments, but what I would like to actually do is start there in Exodus chapter 20 and invite you to turn there in your Bible, please. And we're only going to deal with verses 1 and 2, but I would like to take the time to read the Ten Commandments in their entirety. Beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or is in earth beneath or that's under the earth, or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless the one who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now when the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. 
Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you that you may not sin. And so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near in thick darkness where God was. Why are the Ten Commandments important to us? Verses 1 and 2, number 1, is, it's God's Word. It's God's Word. One of those verses that we might just pass by is chapter 20 and verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, over 2,000 times in your Old Testament, the Word is attributed God. But most of the time, what you have is God speaking through the prophet Elijah, or God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, or God speaking maybe too directly the prophet to carry on his message to a disobedient, rebellious people. But here what's happening is God is speaking these laws to the people, and God is telling them exactly what he wants them to do. This is the word of God. And if we're going to live as Christians... We've got to believe and understand what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4 in answering Satan who told Jesus who was starving at that point. If you really are the Son of God, since you really are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. You remember Jesus answered from the book of Deuteronomy and he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here is unfettered, unfiltered God speaking. And there is a reason to love it because He's the one who said it. There's a reason to treasure it because He's speaking to these people and letting them know what it's going to take to be His people. And He's laying down the house rules for His people to say, if you're going to dwell with me and we're going to have a right relationship, this is what it is that you need to do as my people. There's a reason to love it because for us, for us today, there are principles that are applicable to our lives as Christians that we need to understand because God speaks it. And because what you're going to find is nine out of ten of the commandments are repeated somewhere in the New Testament, which we'll begin looking at, Lord willing, next week. And to be the right type of hearer when God speaks, we've got to have the attitude of the boy Samuel as taught by his mentor Eli when he said, when you hear the voice of God, he said, you speak, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. We need to study the Ten Commandments because it is God's word, simply and satisfactorily. Number two, it shows us God's character, his glory, and his holiness. We've made the statement before that God's will above everything else, or God wants above everything else to bless mankind. That's all that he's ever really wanted to do from the very beginning. The problem is that sin gets in the way of that. People's uh, uh, own will and own wants and own wishes get in the way of God blessing them. So it is that God is trying to wake them up and cause them to, to come to their knees before him. But God cannot bless and God will not cause to prosper that which is an affront to him and to his will. Note what he says there in verse 2 in introducing himself. I am... Your verse may say the capital L-O-R-D. That is the proper name of God there in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H. We don't know what consonant or what vowels go in between that, but people have uh, put in the, the letters to spell the name Jehovah. The proper name of God, the self-existent one, the one who is. Jesus said, I am, before Abraham was. It is God who is the self-existent one here in verse 2, and it shows us what we know about him through what he says. 
What does God say about himself in the Ten Commandments? We mentioned just a few moments ago that he shows himself to be one who punishes sin. But he's also gracious. He's also merciful. He's also reliable and trustworthy, verse 4. He accepts no rivals to his place in our life. What do you see about the character of the God who speaks? Do you see that he's all one-sided, that he's just wrath, 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 that he's just waiting to, 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 to catch somebody in their sin so that he can smite them and, and cast them down? You don't see that at all. But God giving these laws shows something of his glory and it shows something of his holiness that he wants his people to be people who are after his own heart. Why study the Old Testament? Why study the Ten Commandments? Because it emphasizes covenant. Special relationship with a special people. Continue in verse 2. God says, I am Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And as God brought them to the base of Mount Sinai, from the scripture that James read just a few moments ago, these people didn't... Let me say this another way. God gave these people a choice as to whether or not they could be his people. When God said, you've seen what I did, you saw how I led you on eagle's wings and bore you out of the land of Egypt and bore you into the wilderness, you saw what I did to Pharaoh's army, you saw all of that. Here's the choice you have now before you, Israel. I'm willing to be your God. If it is that you'll listen to my voice and you'll obey my commandments, then we'll be in this relationship where I'm going to regard you as a special treasure above all the nations of the earth, where I'm going to call you a holy nation, a, a special treasure to me. You're going to be, to, to me, a people that's set apart, holy, from all the other places or all the other people here on the face of the earth. Israel, yes or no? What, Israel, do you want that? Do you want me to be your God? And Israel said... Moses, you take back word, everything the Lord says we're going to do. Everything the Lord says we're going to do. I can't help but picture and get in a mind, get in my mind a young man that gets down on one knee before that sweet young lady that he's been courting. Courting, is that the right word? Dating. He's been, uh, he's been spending time with. He gets down on that knee and he opens that box and he says, sweetheart, I love you. And I want you to be my wife. I want you to... Walk with me throughout the rest of my life. And I want our home to be a place of love and a place of beauty and a place of holiness. I want you to be my wife. Will you be my wife? What does she have the option to say? Yes or no. But him extending that invitation, she knows something about him and his character. She knows about the way that he behaves. She knows something about the type of husband that, she's going to, that he's going to be to her. And she makes that choice. Israel had the same understanding that they knew who God was. They saw the way that the waters washed over the Egyptians. And as God begins to speak after the people say, yes, everything the Lord says we're going to do, the very first thing that he says is, I, the Lord your God, and the God that led you out of the land of Egypt, have no other gods before me, commandment number one. The very first thing that you have to understand is, God is not going to accept any rivals in his life or in the lives of these people. God is not going to have any rivals to his person. And it is a covenant relationship. You're forsaking all others to be joined to the God of heaven. 
It's the beauty of the Ten Commandments and understanding that these people got a great overview of the way it was going to be in God's house. Why study the Ten Commandments? Because really what you have is law and love combining. Give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining. Here is a God who John would describe centuries later in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, who is love. Here is a God who is love, who is extending his love to this people who have now said, yes, whatever the Lord says, that's what we're going to do. And as God extends his love to these people, again, he reminds them, I'm the one who brought you out of the house of bondage, out of the, out of the house of Egypt. It wasn't God's purpose to bring them out in order to make them more miserable than they were in Egypt. It wasn't God's purpose to bring them out to make them miss out on something that the world was offering or to make them unhappy or disgruntled, but it was to make them understand something of the blessing that he was going to bestow upon them. Moses would say in Deuteronomy 6, verse 24, The Lord commanded us, Moses said, to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Folks, everything that God has ever said, everything that he's ever commanded mankind has been, number one, in accordance with his character. But number two, it has always been for our good, to preserve us from sins that would destroy us or to uh, destroy our families. When you look at commandments number one through three, have no other gods before me, there's something about the number, it's only God. When, it has, when he says, don't bow down, don't make any images, don't make any idols, number two, it's something about God's nature. Commandment number three, respect for his name. Hallowed be your name, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. There's something about the name of God that we need to keep reverent. But what happens is that when people deny the nature, the number, or the name of God, you're going to have people that are begin to follow after their own lust and follow after their own sins to their own destruction. I'll give you an example. There is a god of that age, or a false god of that uh, that time, Molech and Kamosh. Molech was, which uh, best artist rendition up here, as uh, made of brass. What they would do is they would heat his lower parts, and he would have his hands stretched out, and what they would do is they would make his hands red hot. And they would take and they would put the child between his hands and watch the child burn. But in order to keep the people from hearing or the father to hear the screams of the child, what they would do is they would have drummers on the outside of this, this statue. And they would begin to beat the drums so loudly that you couldn't hear the cries of the child lest the father be overcome with, with, with guilt and pity that he would run and try and snatch the child out of the fire. Folks, that's an extreme to what happens when people deny God's nature, when they deny the number, and when they deny his name. God has never commanded anything like that. That's man in his imagination and saying, this is what, this is what a, a God wants. And God knew that the invention of man, if God was not first in their lives, was going to go down this path. And yes, Israel worshipped these gods at one point in their history. Yes, Israel did horrible, abominable things because they had forgotten God's top ten. I speak that very respectfully. They had forgotten what God wanted them first and foremost, to have no other gods before me. So simple, and yet when they rejected it, they paid the price. 
God's word was law and love combining. Brothers and sisters, we need to study the Ten Commandments because it is our spiritual heritage. It is our spiritual heritage. Verse 2, these people sat at the base of Mount Sinai and they trembled at his word. They trembled at his voice. And nothing else in power or scope or longevity and listening to the, the word of God come directly from the mountain. The people said, Moses, we don't want to listen anymore. Tell you what, Moses, you go up there. You receive the law and, and, and we're, we'll hear you. But don't let God speak to us anymore lest we be destroyed. It seems like that's the arrangement from here on out. But these ten that God spoke to the people were something that surely were burned into their minds. You look in your New Testament at a passage like Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. And it says, Whatsoever things were written before time, speaking of the Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Contextually in Romans chapter 15, what uh, Paul is writing is about loving God enough to treat one another like we ought to. Building up one another and edifying one another, not enticing somebody to sin, not forcing them to disobey what's, uh, what's uh, convicting their conscience, but to love and respect God and to love and respect our neighbors. Folks, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, do you remember what he told them? He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he said the second commandment is like the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at commandments one through four. You see a direct relationship between an individual and his God. An honoring of God and his number in his life. The nature of God and not trying to fashion an uh, image to represent God or to give man's imagination what God should look like, but to realize that he is far above any image that we could create. To hallow his name, commandment number three, to keep that holy and reverent and, and be careful the way that I speak it, lest I speak it in anger. Commandment number four is all about the Sabbath and resting on the Sabbath and spending time resting like God rested and remembering it's an opportunity to worship. But then when you get to commandments number five through ten, it's all about the horizontal relationships between people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but love your neighbor as yourself. Today, brothers and sisters, we still have the responsibility to do that, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the great challenge of our lives, and that's the opportunity we have looking to see the way that the Israelites did it in the Old Testament, but then to turn it around and say, how can we better know God and know his character from studying a passage like Exodus chapter 20? Thank you for your attention this evening. Get your songbooks out and open up to the song that Troy announced. It said that Mark Twain was approached by a ruthless businessman who wanted to impress Mr. Twain. And he said to Mark Twain, before I die, I'm going to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He said, I'm going to climb Mount Sinai and I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm going to read the Ten Commandments from the top of Mount Sinai. That's my mission before I die. Mark Twain just kind of casually turned and said, well, you could do that or you could stay in Boston and keep them. 
God has never demanded, folks, that we make grueling, hard pilgrimages in order to be pleasing to Him. But the understanding that God wants us to be people who are all about following Him with our whole hearts and loving one another and respecting one another and keeping the peace between us and keeping the distinctiveness of His people. Folks, if we're not distinctive of God's people, we're not doing it right. If there's not something about us that's a light, that's a reflective light based upon what God has done for us, we need to check ourselves. Jesus would say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. God's will for our lives is that we be his holy people, his special treasure. That's what 1 Peter 2 of verse 9 is talking about. And that's our responsibility to live every single day in the light of his grace. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.